All right, we are in Matthew's Gospel, and as we begin our uh, season of Advent, uh, it's interesting that the uh, triumphal entry is part of the readings uh, of that, because Advent is not just about the birth, it's really about the first coming and its culmination, uh, and then the second coming, so Advent really should be Advent's. In, in that sense. Um, one of the themes in Matthew that we've been looking at uh, is the blessing and the cursing, uh, building our lives on the Word of God and the Messiah. And I've called today's message uh, Fruitful or Cursed. <clears throat> starting to lose my voice. We'll see how this goes, right? I'll squeak it to the end. Uh, one of the constant themes of Scripture are the two pathways, one leading to life and the other one leading to death. Uh, One is trusting and obeying God, which leads to blessing and eternal life. And the second is distrusting and disobedience, which leads to sin of uh, error and sin of intentionality, uh, which brings cursing and death. These two ways are addressed over and over in the scriptures. In the Torah, they're found in the wisdom literature, they're found in the Gospels. And Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount at the beginning of Matthew, talks about this in the context of the story of the one who built his house on a rock and the one who built his house on sand. So as we move into chapter 21 of Matthew, and this is the place where the synoptic Gospels all focus on that last week beginning with the triumphal entry, um, there is a struggle here, and that struggle is that Israel was not on the road to life. They were not prepared for this coming. And we see that in the words that Matthew writes and records in this context. So, in chapter 21... Uh, Beginning at verse 1, he says this. When they approached Jerusalem and come to Bethage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus said to disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied there and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, gentle and mounted on a donkey, even on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. Now that text is from Zechariah, and we will see that in a moment. Uh, The disciples went, did just as Jesus had instructed them, And brought the donkey and the colt and laid their coats on them. And he sat on the coats. Most of the crowd spread their coats on the road. Others were cutting down branches from the trees and spread them in the road. The crowds going ahead of him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had entered Jerusalem... All the city was stirred, saying, Who is this? 
I'm wondering if I'm under a filter that's kicking dust out at me. Yeah. You have my inhaler? Ah. We'll just stop for a second and I'll... Uh, So we'll see how that works, right? Air is a good thing when you're talking, right? <clears throat> now, we're all familiar with this passage. We all know what's going on. Uh, Jesus is entering into the city at Passover. Passover is the time when Israel is celebrating the release of them from Egypt as slaves. And now they're under Roman occupation and rule. And therefore they are awaiting the Messiah, the son of David, who is going to come and free them from that oppression. Gather them back from the diaspora completely. Only a partial group has come back. And the idea is that they are going to then see the Messiah sit on the throne of David and rule over the nations. And Israel will be the head and not the tail. So they're waiting for that and Jesus is the perfect candidate. He can feed thousands with just a little food. He can heal the sick. He can raise the dead. He is capable then of an army that would be invincible. Because they are thinking like men and not totally paying attention to the scriptures. So as they are ready for that, Jesus enters in on a donkey. Uh, based on the text in Zechariah that says, Daughter of Zion, behold your king is entering on a donkey, on the foal of a beast of burden. So that makes them see this as the time when the messianic kingdom is going to arrive. But that is not correct. Because the people in the city is not ready for the Messiah and the Messianic Kingdom. And he's going to make clear that in the writings Matthew is here. But what he does is he, he hints at what is going to be needed. And that is the sin of Jacob has to be removed. And the sin of the whole world. In other words, Yeshua or Jesus has come as the high priest to be offered as a sacrifice for sin, he will then return as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. But their focus is on, he's going to do it now. And so, uh, they, are, they are missing the point. So he enters into the temple, and we see that in verse 12. And I'll stumble through here. I'm not quite sure it's like this is kicking uh, dust off me. Can you turn the heater off? Oh, if it can be turned off, because it's, I think we haven't cleaned the filters and I'm, <clears throat> I'm allergic to dust. <laughs> All right. All right, I'm going to, I'm going to go on and let, you know what? I'm going to do this from, uh, the other pulpit, but I need my water.
I'll do this from the lectern, and that way I'll be in better shape. <clears throat> or maybe, <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Yeah, you guys will be the judge of that. So, uh, verse 12, we pick up. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out those who were buying and selling in the temple and overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who were selling doves. And he said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And when the chief priests and the scribes saw the wonderful things he had done, and the children who were shouting in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David, they became indignant and said to him, Do you hear what the children are saying? And Jesus said to them, Have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babes? You have prepared praise for yourself. And he left them and went out of the city to Bethany and spent the night there. Now there's a lot in this passage. Uh, I'm just going to mention a couple of things. First of all, we have a tendency uh, as Christians to think Hosanna in the highest somehow means praise in the highest. But Hosanna is a statement that means save us now. So they're saying save us now to the son of David. Okay, That's what is being done. They are after the messianic kingdom. That's why they laid out what Rabbi Fisher calls the green carpet. You know, they put their coats down and the palm branches. They are ready for that kingdom to come. Uh, but he goes into the temple, and the temple is not in the shape that it's supposed to be in. So he begins to tip over the money changers, and he tips over the tables of those who are selling doves. And he says, you have turned my house, my father's house, uh, which is supposed to be a house of prayer, Quoting Isaiah 56, verse 7, a house of prayer for all the nations, uh, as it is quoted. But you have turned it into a robber's den, and that is from Jeremiah, Jeremiah chapter 7, where Jeremiah is speaking in front of the temple of Solomon, when the people are saying, we have the temple, we have the temple, the northern kingdom got destroyed, but we have the temple, God won't let the temple be destroyed. So I want you to look at that text. We're going to look at Jeremiah chapter 7. This is what is called by commentators the, uh, the temple sermon of Jeremiah. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah saying, stand in the gate at the Lord's house and proclaim there this word and say, hear the word of the Lord, all you of Judah, who enter by these gates to worship the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, amend your ways and your deeds, and I will let you dwell in this place. Do not trust in deceptive words, saying, this is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. For if you truly amend your ways and your deeds, if you truly practice justice between a man and his neighbor, if you do not oppress the alien, the orphan, the widow, and do not shed innocent blood in this place, nor walk after other gods to your own ruin, 
Then I will let you dwell in this place, in the land that I gave to your fathers forever and ever. Behold, you are trusting in deceptive words to no avail. And then the verse that has grasped me from the first time I read it. Will you steal, murder, and commit adultery, and swear falsely, offer sacrifices to Baal, and walk after other gods which you have not known, and then come and stand before me in this house which is called by my name, and say, we are delivered that we may do all these abominations. We are saved so we can do all these sins. Because, after all, it's grace. Has this house, which is called by my name, become a den of robbers in your sight? Behold, I, even I, have seen it, declares the Lord. Now, it's really important that we catch this. Whenever the prophets or Jesus are quoting a text from the law and the prophets, they're assuming that you know the full context. They're not going to quote the whole thing because when they say it, you should know what it is. If I said to you, the Lord is my shepherd, I don't have to do the rest of the psalm. You guys know that. Well, they knew the law and the prophets. The problem was they knew them. They could get all the answers right, but they had not amended their ways. They were doing it with their mouths, but not with their lives. That's why God said through Isaiah, this people draw near me with their mouths, but their hearts are far from me. The words are nothing. Let us not love in word only, but in word and deed, the scriptures say. So that's what's going on here. It's very important that we catch this or the rest of these texts don't make sense. So back to Matthew 21. Uh, we pick it up at um, verse uh, 18. Well, I'm in Luke. That's not going to work. <laughs> so he says, now as he left, it says in the morning when he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a lone fig tree by the road, he came to it and found nothing on it except leaves only. And he said to it, No longer shall there ever be any fruit from you. And at once the fig tree withered. Seeing this, the disciples were amazed and asked, How did the fig tree wither all at once? And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what was done to the fig tree, but you will say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea. It will happen. And all things you ask in prayer, believing, you will receive. Now this section is usually read only for this last part. It's read in some churches to say, if you have enough faith, you can move mountains. And if you have enough faith, you can heal the sick. In other words, if you have enough faith, you can get God to do your will. That is exactly opposite of what this text is saying. What it's saying is, if you have enough faith, you can do the impossible according to God's will. 
We see this in James where James says, Elijah prayed earnestly that it would not rain and it didn't rain and then he prayed and it rained again. The, the, the prayer of a righteous man avails much. Now the idea there is not that Elijah came up with the idea it's not going to rain until I say it is. In the Torah, God said, if you disobey me, I will shut up the heavens and stop the rain. And what Elijah was doing is saying, God, that's your word, that's your will, do it. And that's the issue. We have to know the word and we have to amend our ways to do it. This is not about taking the power of God into our hands. It's about becoming submissive to the power of God. Remember, it was the children yelling, Hosanna, right? Who are the children? Nothing. They are of the kingdom of God. They are nothing in this world, but they are of the kingdom that is coming. And so you begin to see Matthew's message uh, coming through in this context. Now, this barren fig tree is also an interesting connection because there is a story in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 24. We're not going to go there now. But the issue is where God likens Israel to figs. And there is a basket of good figs and a basket of bad figs. And the good figs are those that are obedient to God. And the bad figs are those who are disobedient to God. And the fig tree in that sense is in reference to Israel. So as Jesus goes by this tree, this tree has leaves but no fruit. In other words, it announces that it's a fig tree, but it doesn't do any figs. It's words without actions. And so Jesus curses it. That's the message here, is that those who produce fruit will be blessed, and those who don't will be cursed. And that's why John the Baptist said, the axe is already laid at the tree. If it doesn't bring forth fruit, it will be cut down. And so this lesson is about the issue of the fig tree, not about usurping your prayers to do your will, but to do God's will by faith because we trust Him. Now that moves us then to the next section. And that section is uh, beginning at verse 23. He entered into the temple. The chief priests and the elders of the people came to him while he was teaching and said, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? And Jesus said to them, I will ask you one thing. And if you will tell me, I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John was from what source? Heaven or from men? And they began to reason among themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Then why did you not believe him? And if we say from men, we fear the people, for they all regard John as a prophet. And answering Jesus, they said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. Now this is fascinating to me, because he's just curse the tree. His disciples understand this. And here he is talking to those who should be the fruitful of Israel. The leadership of Israel. And they 
don't get John the Baptist. Now, if you don't get John the Baptist, you are not going to get Jesus. Because he's the forerunner, and he's the one who is saying, there is one following me who I'm not worthy to untie his sandal, and he is going to baptize you, not with this water that I'm baptizing, but with the Holy Spirit and fire. He is the one that must increase, and I must decrease. If they had believed John, if they had understood John, they would have amended their ways. We're back to this same notion. So now Jesus is going to give them another story. And he does that in verses uh, 20, uh, 28. Yep, I'm, I jumped pages here. So he says, so what do you think? A man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, son, go work today in my vineyard. And he answered, I will not. But afterward... He regretted it and went. The man came to the second and said the same thing. And he answered, I will go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of his father? And they said, the first. And Jesus said to them, I say to you that tax collectors and prostitutes will get into the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in a way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. But the tax collectors and the prostitutes did believe him and did amend their ways. And you, seeing this, did not even feel remorse afterwards so as to believe him. When they saw the effectiveness of John's ministry bringing sinners back to God, which was their task, by the way, They didn't recognize that that's competition. We don't need that competition. They were about themselves, not about God. They were about the words. They were not about the actions. They were about not changing themselves, but judging other people. And so Jesus then lowers the boom. He says, listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard and put a wall around it, and dug a wine press, and built a tower. Now that text is clearly in reference to Jerusalem here, as it quotes the scriptures. And he rented it out to his vine growers and went on a journey. God told Israel, this is not your land, it's my land. I'm giving it to you, and if you obey me, I'll keep you in it, and if you don't, I'll move you out. When the harvest time approached, he sent his slaves to the vine growers to receive his produce. These are the prophets. And the vine growers took the slaves and beat one and killed another and stoned a third. That's not a good reception, right? Again, he sent another group of slaves larger than the first, and they did the same things to them. Afterwards, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the vine growers saw the son, they said among themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and seize his inheritance. You can see their heart. They took him and they threw him out of the vineyard and they killed him. Therefore, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those vine growers? Now, this is great. Okay? Because they get all the answers right. They know which son did the will of God. They can do all the Bible drill stuff. 
They've, they've got it down. They, they can give the answer. And they said, He will bring those wretches to a wretched inn and will rent out the vineyard to other vine growers who will pay him the proceeds at the proper seasons. So they got it right. So now, here comes the boom. Jesus said, Did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord. It is marvelous in our eyes. He's quoting the Psalms here. And he says, Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. And when this Sanhedrin group, this group of chief priests and Pharisees, heard the parable, they understood he was speaking about them. They even get this one. So what is their reaction? Repentance? Amending their ways? No, we'd like to kill you, but we can't. Because we're afraid of the people. They don't fear God. They're afraid of the mob. They're afraid of the people. So they sought to seize him, but they feared the people because the people considered him a prophet. They didn't, but he did. Now Jesus speaks of the cornerstone which will stumble those who are proud and will crush those it falls on. He says the kingdom will be taken from you. He's not saying it's taken from you Jews. Really important to understand this. This is not a replacement theology text. This is not a removal of the promises from the children of Abraham. This is about one of two things. I think it's both because Jesus uses both contexts for these kinds of words. It will be taken from you, Sanhedrin. And there will be a different Sanhedrin that will be picked up. And there actually was a Sanhedrin after this one that put together what we today call rabbinic Judaism and have tried to amend their ways. Their problem is what the law cannot do weak through the flesh, God did in sending his son, but there's a partial blindness over Israel to see that. He also was talking about the generation. Now, remember, they are at the Passover. So what's going on? They are celebrating when Charlton Heston brought them out of Egypt, right? Moses. And they are celebrating that event. But how did that event go? The scripture says the Lord was not pleased with that generation. There was an entire generation that had to die in the wilderness except for two, Joshua and Caleb. There's always a remnant that's faithful. But the entire generation had to suffer and die in the wilderness and not enter into the land. In the same way, Jesus tells the generation of his time that you are not ready. Because if you were ready, John would have been Elijah. And the kingdom would have come. But you're not ready. And so... 
I will be taken from you, and you will not see me again until you say, Baruch haba b'ashem Adonai. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You will call it for real when I return. So it's very important that we see these texts. He is coming to his own in that sense. They are not receiving him. Now the people are. A large number of the Jewish people are are believers in, in Yeshua as Messiah in this time. But the leadership of that generation rejected him. And he rejected that generation. He said the queen of Sheba will rise up against this generation. Others will come. Sodom and Gomorrah will rise up in the judgment against this generation. He is saying that this generation is the one that will suffer the loss because they didn't know the time of their visitation. He is not saying, I am rejecting the people of God because of this generation. He's rejecting that generation. Really important to keep that in mind. Ultimately, the ministry and prophecy of John now has come to fullness. Those who trust and obey will be blessed in their labors, and those who distrust and disobey will be cursed. They want to seize him, but they can't. And so what's going to happen is Jesus is going to give them another parable of the kingdom, answer their questions, which they are not asking in order to understand, but to try to trip him up. You always know when someone asks you a question, if they have an interest in the answer, or if they're just waiting for the answer to pounce. I get that from students all the time, and there are some that really want to know an answer, and there are others who who think they're going to trick me with the question. It's amazing because they're usually the same questions, right? They think they thought them up, and we all thought them up before they did, and others thought them up before we did, and others thought them up before they did, and they're just stalling technique. Any of you who are parents know this because it happens with kids too, right? So the idea is that Jesus is going to, for the sake of the scriptures and for the sake of his disciples, answer these things, Because those who have ears to hear will understand, and those who have ears not to hear will misunderstand and get him wrong. And we're going to see that next week when we look at that text. So I'm going to close at this point, then we'll do a a brief Q&A, and uh, we'll be done. Let's pray.